0: All right, good morning, Gateway. Everybody, great? I was great till I got here today. Some kid told me I look like an Easter egg. (laughs) One of your kids. Who's parenting these kids, man? I know I've already offended some people by saying Easter eggs. I know in church we like to say resurrection eggs. I say Easter eggs. Because they don't have any food in those resurrection eggs. There's nothing to eat. Now you start shoving some Swedish fish in those resurrection eggs, some Sour Patch Kids, and I'm a fan. I'll do it. I'll be on board. Happy Easter, everybody. Um, I know that we have a pretty broad spectrum in church today. It typically does just happen that way on Easter. We've got people who are like full-blown, all their chips are in on Jesus You woke up today probably early so you could see if you could see a sunrise and just catch the whole thing, right? And there are others that maybe you've fallen out of a relationship with God. Maybe it's been a while since you've been to church and so you're here today. It's like that friendship that sometimes you just let kind of fall by the wayside and you know you should call, but then it gets more awkward as time goes on. You're just like, I can't now because it's worse, And then something happens, something clicks, you find each other again, and it's like, man, why did we let so much time pass? So maybe that's you today. I'm hoping that if it is, you reconnect with a God who absolutely loves you today. I also know there are people that you just got drugged here by somebody. You don't want to come to church. Probably that crazy aunt that's like, she's been begging you for months. And you're like, finally, it's Easter, I'll go. She promised you White Castle afterwards. You're like, deal. So I know that we've got a lot of, the spectrum is broad, so I'm going to try and be as relevant as I can to everybody, and I thought the best way to do that is just by coming out with one unifying statement, something we can all get behind and understand, and so that statement today is this, you are going to die. Isn't that awesome? You're like, thanks for that, Tom. Yeah, I'm going to cancel brunch. I'm going to go home, kick my cat, whatever. <laughs> don't, do, don't do that. Don't cancel brunch. <laughs> don't, don't cancel brunch. But you're going to die. Like, no one escapes it. No one escapes it. Death has like a lock on the Super Bowl of life. We're all going to die. I don't care what you do. I don't care how many carrot soy shakes you drink. I don't care how many hot yoga classes you take. I don't care how many kale chips you eat. You're going to die. So where have you put your hope? If that statement is true, then where have you put your hope? Don't you just like sometimes you you wake up and you're like, is this really all there is? Is this all there is to life? Like I wake up, I eat breakfast, I go to work come home, eat dinner, harass a cat, whatever it is that, that gets you going, go to bed and then you wake up the next day and start all over again just like, man, is this it? Is this all there is to life? You turn on the news, death, murder, destruction, like just pure evil that you see, like there's, is, is there more to life than this? Just this last week or so, that kid at the Mall of America A little kid got thrown over the railing. Just senseless evil. This morning, my wife just told me there's been all kinds of suicide bombings at churches, Sri Lanka. Tragic. Can't be all there is, is there? You say, is this all there is? Your mind just kind of goes to those dark places and, and can park there, and that's dangerous unless... Unless, the answer to that question is yes. There is more. There is more. We're at the, uh, at the end here now of what we call Holy Week, as Christians call Holy Week. It's the week leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today is Easter. That's what we celebrate, the tomb being empty. Is that awesome or what? Let me just kind of very quickly recap for those who need a little... History on, the, on, on how we got here. A long time ago, the world was formed. God made the earth, everything in it. Mountains, oceans, rivers, you name it. He also set in place some laws that he expected his creation to live by. Mountains did a pretty good job of being mountains. Oceans were doing all right, no one to stop. But humans fell short. We broke the law. And when you have a holy and just God, you cannot have sin or evil, that it doesn't go unpunished, unpaid in some way. Something had to happen. A sacrifice had to be made so that everything could be made right with God. It couldn't just be any sacrifice. This sacrifice had to be a, a spotless, a blemish-free, a wrinkle-free, sinless, like no, no sin effect, no evil embedded in them. Something, something had to pay the price. Somebody had to pay. Now, going through the course of time, the prophecies in the Old Testament say somebody's coming. Someone is going to come that's going to be that sacrifice. They're going to arrive. The Messiah will come. Now, based on reliable records of, of, of history, we know that about 2,000 years ago, this child was born. Now, this child was born to a virgin. I know I lost some of you right there. You're going, I don't understand how that can be possible. And you're right, it's crazy. Unless, unless this little child started coming of age. He was like 12 years old. His parents couldn't find him. They're like, where is this boy we named Jesus? Where is he? They go to the church, and there he is in the church. He's teaching the leaders of the church at 12 years old. He's asking these questions that they are just like, what? I got a 12-year-old, you know what kind of... Well, never mind. They're not asking stuff that I'm going, wow! This, ki- this kid stunned everybody. Later on in life, as he's growing and starts his, his, his ministry, he's growing and now at 30 years old, he starts his ministry. And he's now grabbed some friends to come along with him. He's teaching them as he goes. And there's some religious people at the time that do not like what Jesus is teaching. He's claiming to be God. And they have a problem with that. They have a real problem with that. So what they do is they seek to kill him. Jesus' disciples and him are in big trouble. Death is coming. Now, Jesus is sinless his whole life. The believers, the, the, the disciples that he had around him, believe now he is the Messiah. He's the one. They, 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 they sat through teaching that blew their mind. They've seen miracles upon miracles that just, wow. So many miracles, you, you, you couldn't even put them all in the Bible, it says. They saw that many, they knew. We have the Messiah right here. Now the day came, one of his friends betrayed him for a bag of coins. So he goes to the religious leaders. He says, I can tell you where Jesus is. They give him some coins. He goes, you can find him right over here. And so they come and they arrest Jesus. They bring him in front of all the religious leaders and all of the, like the governor at the time. Religious leaders are like, you are claiming to be God, you are going to die now. And all his friends are like, oh boy. A lot of them scatter. A few of them hung around. And one of them comes up to Peter, one of his best friends. And he says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, no, that's not me. I'm from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. He's like, no, I think I saw you with him. He said, no, Southside. Southside. Are you sure that's not you? He's like, go bears. Right? Three times he's like, I have nothing to do with Jesus, don't know who he is. I want you to remember that. I want you to remember Peter being so afraid to die the way Jesus was about to that he said he didn't even know who he was. It's time for Jesus to die. They take Jesus They put a crown of thorns on his head. They spit on him. They beat him. They torture him. They whip him. His skin is falling off. I know there's some children in here. I will be cautious. It was nasty. Pulling beard hairs out of his face. You know, when I get one stuck in a zipper, it's like, whew, for a week I might be. They're just pulling him out and beating him. Made him carry a cross all the way to the place where it was going to be planted and he was going to be put up in front of everybody to see. They drove spikes through his hands and feet. They mocked him, laughing at him. They were rolling dice to see who could get his clothes. Horrible stuff. Crucifixion is nasty. If you've ever done any research on it, it's, it's bad stuff. And... Uh, that's where he was for a couple hours. When he was thirsty, they gave him a sponge with vinegar on it just to, just to tease him. When the time came, they were probably getting hungry. They like, let's just finish it. So they stabbed him through the side with a spear. Blood and water poured out. If you know anything about death like that, when water comes out, it's pretty much done. They broke some knees of some couple, a couple other people that were hanging there as well. They didn't even have to bust his knees because he was gone. So they brought him down off the cross, wrapped him in burial cloth, put him in a tomb, sealed that tomb with a boulder, and put guards to watch over it day and night. These Roman guards, they're not a joke. Like, this is their job. Watching that stone and making sure no one tries to take this body. Three days in the ground. And on the third day, on Easter Sunday, some ladies shows up at the tomb, where the rock was rolled away, where there was no body, and the burial clothes were folded up neatly, just like poof, gone. Isn't that crazy? It's just crazy to me. Jesus fulfilled a, a, a hundreds and hundreds of prophecies through his life, burial, resurrection, like hundreds of prophecies. Now, I believe this story. Like, every fiber of my being, I believe everything about this story. Everything. But I want to share with you today why I believe. Why do I believe that Jesus actually is who he said he is? Why do I believe that he actually is risen today? The best way I can. And so I'm going to share with you some reasoning today. That's, that's all we're going to do. Around this time Jesus was crucified... And resurrected, there was a guy named Saul. Now Saul was this really, really, like he was a tough guy. Christians were afraid of him, like seriously feared from their life just at the name Saul. And Saul was in the business of rounding up Christians at the time because he was a good Jewish law-abiding guy. And he was climbing the ranks. Like he wasn't just some, you know, guy low on the totem pole. Saul was getting up there. And the Christians flew in the face of everything he knew. Everything. So he decided, we're going to go round these guys up and we're going to kill them. We're either going to torture them, put them in prison, or we're going to kill them. We'll decide when we get there. And he was doing that. He was in the process of rounding up the Christians. All of a sudden, this light comes out of nowhere. A bright light. And Saul is so afraid that he falls face down on the ground. And out of that light comes a voice. And that voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, the one you persecute. That's pretty clear, right? I I mean, I don't know there's any doubt in his mind at that point who is talking to him. He doesn't see anybody, but he's afraid for his life at the sound of this voice in this light that says, I'm Jesus, stop messing around with me. He goes from persecuting Christians, trying to kill them, to now all of a sudden doing a 180, doing a 180. He goes on to write a third of the New Testament, this, this Saul. We call him Paul. One of the things he goes on to pen was this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached for you, unless you believe in vain. Now he wrote this to the church at Corinth. He was just there. So he had talked to them. Now he came back and he's writing a letter. So he's reminding them of what he taught them at that time. For I've delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. We know him as Peter. And then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now this is important So catch this right here. Jesus is showing up to all kinds of people, right? His inner circle. He's showing up to a lot of people here. It says 500 people. Now catch this. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. If I'm lying to you about something, am I going to write you a letter and tell you to go check with the 250 plus people that are still living? go ask him. No, I wait till most of them die. And then I go, oh, I share this story with you. I probably should have told you earlier, but no, he doesn't do that. He says, look, these people are still living. Go ask. Then he appeared to James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. This is important. We'll come back. Just think, 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 remember this. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. No reputable scholar believes that Paul is being disingenuous here. There's no no one denies Paul's existence, no one denies Jesus existence. No one denies that what Paul is saying here is true and this is because of this his life demonstrates his conversion. How do you go from rounding up Christians and murdering them to being one of the most outspoken vocal people of the Christian movement on a dime? I don't know people that change their thought process in a lifetime. I'm born a Republican, I'm gonna die a Republican. Democrat, Democrat, whatever. No one changes like that unless, nobody changes like that on a dime unless you have come face to face with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul's also reciting what they believe is a creed here in, that in this uh, couple of verses we're looking at. Christ died for our sins and was buried, was raised on the third day and was seen. They can trace that back to like a year or two after Christ's resurrection. That means that the early church around that area had already started reciting this creed and because they were illiterate, a lot of them couldn't read or write, they would come up with these creeds that they could teach. And it'd be easy to catch, like your ABCs. This was around at that time, and it had already started. People were already going, listen, we're going to teach this. And this is so important, it has to be remembered. Paul did a 180. The only way I know that he does that is he saw something so powerful, so incredibly unbelievable, that it shook him to his core. You come face to face with a person you've been persecuting, and they come in a light ball? Uh, yeah, I'd switch. I'd change teams at that point. Paul died. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't allowed to be crucified because he had Roman citizenship, so what they did is they just took his head off. Pretty sweet of them, right? a couple other reasons why I believe what I do the Roman guards that watched this tomb you know they were this was their life on the line here something goes wrong with that tomb something happens with that body it's over for them how easy would it be for them to just say oh I know where where the body is no problem wouldn't you just provide the body Unless, man, unless there just wasn't one, unless you just couldn't show a body because it had risen. The disciples' eyewitness experience where they saw and touched Jesus, all of them, in a room, after Christ went missing, they're like, great, now what? Jesus shows up in the middle of them, and they're like, what? What? Has that ever happened to you? Where like one of your dead relatives just shows up in your room and they're like, hey! (laughs) how You'd you'd be out of your mind! Jesus shows up right in the middle of them and they see him. They talk to him. Touch him. I believe their testimony. I also believe the the, the, the conversion of James. Jesus' half-brother was a skeptic. Rejected Jesus. Didn't believe he was the Messiah. He's like, look, I grew up with you. I know. You're not the one. Although he couldn't, he couldn't find any fault in him. He just didn't believe it. He rejected him. But James turns around after he was, after Christ came to him. I told you right there in the scripture. He said he showed himself to James. After that, James was full bore into the church. Was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Who who does that? Who turns like that? Unless you've seen the resurrected Christ. He goes from saying, no, that's my brother, to that is God. I don't know. I can't explain it in any other way than to say he saw the risen Christ. He was stoned to death, by the way. The resurrection was proclaimed in Jerusalem. Here's here's something. If you're trying to pull a hoax off, and this crucifixion and resurrection happened in Jerusalem, wouldn't you think he would go somewhere else to try and get the story moving? That somewhere way over here, a man was crucified and came back to life? It didn't happen like that. They proclaimed it right in the city where it happened. They said, look, it happened. It's right here. You would go somewhere else to start that hoax. Unless unless it was no hoax at all. the existence of the early church founded by law-abiding, monotheistic Jews. These Jewish boys that started these churches all around, they were law-abiding. They lived according to the law of God. They only believed one God. So why would they walk from this one to follow this one unless they knew that he was God, that he is God? It wouldn't happen. If this was a conspiracy, why on earth would you put the first evidence of Christ's resurrection in the mouths of women? I'll be on the couch tonight. Why would you put it in the mouths of women where they don't even take their word in court? You wouldn't unless it happened exactly that way. And listen, it's just like Jesus to call the ones that society was marginalizing to do just that. That's Jesus, isn't it? The disciples' transformation to fear, from fear to martyrdom. Acts 4 1 through 12 says this. Uh, no, think back. These disciples, the, 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 these are the same people they're in contact with that they were in the last scripture that we were looking at. Same people. Same people that are wanting to kill the Christians, right? And as they were speaking to the people and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, there's, look, there's just like a bunch of religious people. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of from the dead. That's what they're teaching. No mistaking, right? The disciples are going, he rose from the dead. That's what we're teaching. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I'm like, what is this testimony? Like, what is he sharing? What are these words that you can convert that many people in that short amount of time other than Peter just going, look, I know it sounds crazy, but I saw him. I know what I saw. I I know. I'm a fisherman. I I know when I see a fish. I know when I see someone who died standing before me with the scars on their body. I know it. And just like that, 5,000 people. Probably like nobody comes back from the grave, you know, but unless it's Jesus. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. So they're putting the disciples in the middle and they're saying, hey, question for you. They inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, you guys remember Peter? Chicago Peter, Southside Peter, Bears Peter, afraid for his life, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? All right, here we go let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, he's putting their face in it, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man standing before you as well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's reciting to them Old Testament scripture because they would have known what that word was. They would have remembered that verse. And he's putting it in their face and he's saying, I told you. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Chicago Peter now saying, Uh uh-uh. uh, I'm not playing this game. I know what I saw, I know who Jesus is, and I can't say anything else. I won't say anything else. It's like a sparrow landed on his hand. This is for the non-church people. And he showed them the bird. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's what he did. Well, we try and clean stuff up, but he was, that's what he was doing. You skip down to Acts 4, 18 through 20. So they called them. So they're trying to figure out what to do with them because they won't shut up. Bring them back in. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. Again, Peter, shut up. And Peter is going, no. You're going to have to do whatever you have to do because I know what I know whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Do what you gotta do. Do what you gotta do. I can't do anything but preach the name of Jesus. <laughs> Nobody is this strong. Peter. No one is this bold. No one is that Courageous, unless, man, unless he knows exactly what he saw. They peered into an empty tomb. They were gathered in the room. Jesus appeared to them. He let Thomas touch him in the scars. Do you know what Thomas said? One of the, one of the most awesome things, I think, in the Bible, one of the most awesome statements in the Bible, and Thomas is touching the scars. You know what he says? My Lord and my God. You think Thomas, you know, he gets a bad rap being doubting Thomas. They all doubted. But do you think Thomas doubted at that point who Jesus was, that he came back from the grave? Thomas knew. Thomas knew. My Lord and my God, there is no better call out than that. He got it. You cannot scare men and women who are not afraid to die. And those disciples were not afraid to die. Acts 5, 40 and 42. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them. All right, so they called back in the apostles. They're still preaching Jesus' name. They got beaten, bad, bad. Scripture says that usually it's like under 40, you can give them like up to 40 lashings. What they said in the, in the research, it's like they get two across the back, then one across the front. That's three, multiple of three, 39 would be like the most they could give them. It doesn't say how many lashings they took, but for as much as they despised Jesus and his followers, I'm just going to go with the max. I bet it was. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were freed. Is that what it says? They weren't rejoicing that they were were freed. It says rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. What? What? And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Nobody has the power to go through that and continue unless. They were confronted about stopping preaching Jesus, don't talk about him anymore. And they got beaten to a pulp. And what did they do? They celebrated. Like oh man, your spleen is hanging out. I know. Look at my gallbladder. It's awesome, isn't it? I'm so excited that we can suffer like this for the Lord. And some of us have a hard time when we're asked to serve an extra Sunday. The disciples all died alone. They all died on their own. You know, if you were trying to collaborate something and put something together and pull off this elaborate hoax, wouldn't you like, let's stick together, man. They can beat you, but they can't beat us all at the same time. They went all in different directions and took the gospel to different parts of the world by themselves. Peter, according to Scripture, or or, or according to uh, historical evidence and, and all this is, okay, but Peter is told that they crucified his wife to get back at him. And they made him watch. And as Peter is watching, it says he called out to her, remember the Lord. It's going to hurt. You're going to go through some stuff. But remember, this is temporary. You're going to be all right. And then he was crucified. Except he wouldn't let him crucify him the same way they crucified his Lord. They made, he made him turn him upside down. He said, I'm not even worthy to die the same way as you. Who does that? Who does that? Who has that much, that much courage unless you've seen the risen Christ? Andrew was crucified as well, Peter's brother, but he was lashed to the cross they didn't even put spikes in there they just figured we'll lash him to it and it's going to last longer they said that with his last breaths that he was just begging people as they passed by him on the cross believe in Jesus wow man wow james was being led to his death by a soldier and James shared his testimony with this soldier, which was so powerful that the soldier said, I believe too. I believe too. And he begged him to forgive him. Like, please forgive me. James said, peace be with you. Kissed him on the cheek. And side by side, they were beheaded. Beheaded. Who, 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 who puts up with that? Unless you know what you know. John was allegedly boiled in oil. Now they couldn't find like solid, solid proof. So some say that it happened, some say that it didn't. The ones that say it happened said he was boiled in oil in front of thousands of people. And when they pulled him out of that boiling pot, not a mark on him. And everybody in that place believed in Jesus that day. You can believe it didn't happen. Man, if you believe the rest of this stuff, that's nothing. Like, that, i believe that in a second. The power of God. Whether you believe it or not, he was still banished to an island prison of Patmos. He slept in a cave the rest of his life on a bed of rocks. At any time, he could have said, look, I'm just kidding. Take me back. Like, I could use a Sirta mattress about now. Philip was stoned to death. Nathaniel was tied up in a sack and tossed into the sea. Matthew was burned at the stake. Thomas was run through with a spear. I love this. Thomas was run through with a spear. Thomas, the same Thomas that was like, "I'm going to need to touch you to believe it," and put his finger right in that spear mark, and it ended up dying the same way for his God. It's the power of that, man? James the less was either stoned to death, beaten to death, or crucified. Simon the zealot was killed for preaching the gospel, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, clubbed to death for his faith. Is any of this happening over a body, a dead body, that was pulled out of the tomb and hidden? Are any of them doing this? Are any of them going through this for a scam? No. It wasn't a scam. I'm not willing to die for truth, let alone a hoax. If someone came up to me and said, what color is the sky, I would say blue. If they pull out a weapon and they say, tell me it's orange, I'm going to say, look, it's not just orange. It's the most brilliant shade of orange I've ever seen. I'm I'm just not willing to die for certain things, not even some truth. Certainly not going to die for a hoax. That grave is empty, church. Yeah. One of my uh, movies we watch around this time is The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you guys know it, most of you. It's seriously the most depressing movie I've ever seen in my life and I try and watch it every year <laughs> cuz I'm demented and whatever else but the movie is so hard to get through but here's why I watch it because about a minute before the credits come on the like the like the ending credits about 1 minute in the screen goes black you're like oh it's over and then you hear this like rock sound rubbing against rock and it's like tiniest light just creeps in, and it grows as the rock rolls away. And the camera's just like waiting, and all of a sudden that light, it just hits Jesus' face. He, he has no more headdressing on. He's just sitting there waiting for that rock to roll away. And he gets up, and he comes out of that tomb, that's Easter, man. I mean, that is why we come here today. If he's still in that grave, I have better things to do. Anybody up for sleeping in on a Sunday morning when you got to work all week? But that tomb is empty. That tomb is empty. Left behind the burial clause. Last reason. Why I believe the resurrection is true is that I have experienced that resurrection in me. Like that is death, resurrection. Like I have first-hand knowledge of what that feels like. I've been through some stuff in my life and I can't go into the testimony part. I'm happy to share it with anybody at any time, but... When Paul says, Man, I am the chief of sinners, I'm like, No way. You haven't seen me, man, in my mess. Stuff that I've been through and done. I just, just dragging it through life ashamed. And every time I think about it, just spiraling down mentally, like just bad stuff until Easter. Like, when I, when, I, when I know that Christ rose, when I know He is who He said He is, and that means that everything that He has said is true, that I know all my stuff I can lay at that cross. And when I did that, like, the turnaround in, in my soul was so powerful. Like, how are you supposed to help somebody else when you're dragging stuff with you through life that just... You can't even focus on getting your own junk. How are you going to help someone else? But once you find that freedom that Christ gave us through his grace, through his death on the cross, man, if that, you, you leave all the junk and he will fill you with joy, with a love. Like he created you. Why, what makes you think that he doesn't want to remove that stuff from your life? He did that for me all my shame, all my guilt. And like, well, I wanted to piecemeal it to him. Like, you can have this, but I still want to hang on to this. And Christ is like, no, I want all of it. I want all of it. He's not stretched out for some of it. Give him it all. And when you do that, when you put your faith and trust that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is, in fact, the risen Lord, you watch and see. You watch and see when you decide to give him your garbage. And he's gladly saying, come on, come on. It's why, like songs that they sung this morning, like death was arrested, so will I. I mean, oh gosh, just the words. It's why I can sing those and go, yeah, yeah, these aren't just a crutch to get me through the week. This is my lifeline. I know it's some of yours. You're just like, I need that reminder that he is who he said he is. That he arrested death so I can have life. I need that. And it's just so powerful. So powerful. Uh, I'm going to share just a little bit of truth with you and we're going to be done. I know you don't like truth. We all claim we do. We don't. There was this one time, <laughs> there was this one time, um, I'm sitting on the couch, I just had a cup of coffee. It was really good. And uh, my daughter comes skipping around the corner and hops up on my lap. And she asked me a question, I was like, oh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good father-daughter time right here. And so I responded to her question, and she's like, Oh, I'm like what? And she goes, Your breath smells of like coffee. <laughs> so I just, you know, split my knees and let gravity punish her. <laughs> Talk to me that way. Uh, was she telling the truth? Yeah, I had a cup of coffee. She was two inches from my face. Get out of my face. But it was true. Sometimes we just don't always like hearing the truth. But this is the truth. Jesus Christ is the only way. He is 100%, without a doubt, God. Punished on the cross for you and for me. Risen from the dead just to prove, in fact, who he was. He is Lord. You can either grab that dive into it, search it out, or you can turn from that. But I have to tell you, that's true. He is who he said he is. The scariest part of the Bible, one of the scariest parts of the Bible is that it tells us that even our best deeds, like the, the, the best things we can do on the best day of our life. Like when you, at the end of that day, when you look at yourself and you go, ah, I pretty much knocked it out of the park today. I'm pretty much great <laughs> on that day. It doesn't even measure up. It says it's, it's filthy rags. Your best deeds are worthless. Worthless. That's a scary thought. Unless, unless you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Because he, through his death on the cross, covers all of that. Completely covers all of that. Your bad deeds, the, the, the little bit better deeds, the good deeds, all of that, which he doesn't even count. Jesus' death converts that into righteousness. Romans 8 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You come to Christ, you decide that I want to give Jesus the the, the leadership of my life. You, You give him that ownership of your life, and you just say, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. You do that, and scripture says there is now no more condemnation for you. In what court can they find you guilty of anything? He owns the court. Jesus is your attorney, and when he looks at you, he looks through Jesus. And you know what that means? He only sees Jesus. He sees all of what Jesus did, and he goes, you're forgiven. It's not a license to do whatever we want. It's a free gift of grace that allows us to wake up tomorrow and say, let's try it again. course, none of that matters unless, unless you put your faith in Him. Easter's a great time to do that. And we got everything set up, right? The worship, t- everything is going, everything's, everything's hitting on all cylinders, right? It's the perfect time. I might have the worship team come up, but I do want to give you um, just a glimpse, a glimpse here. I know a lot of you had brought some stuff in. I know a lot of you feel guilt over some things that you've done. Or you feel ashamed about some things or the way you have lived your life or whatever it is. You know, God doesn't care about that. He, he's, he, nowhere in Scripture does He say, you clean yourself up, get yourself right, and then you come. He doesn't say that. What He says is, I will meet you where you are at. You don't have to move. You don't have to do anything. He is everywhere. And he'll meet you right in that spot. I know some of you have stuff like that because I do. I still deal with junk in my life. I want to give you a glimpse as to what a future in eternity will look like with a life in Christ. Revelations 21 and 4 says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you want an eternity like that? Like these bombings that happen today? No more. None. You're not going to hear about any of that stuff. There's not going to be any incidents at the Mall of America. Every tear, everything is gone. He will take it all away, all of it. You just have to go to Him. You just have to trust Him. I tried to lay out as best I could why I believe what I do, and there's a thousand other reasons. This just doesn't make sense to me. Eternity is a long time. Eternity is a long time. So let me just give you a quick idea of what, what eternity is and we'll close up. All, all, all your pain, like all your suffering, everything you're going through, I know it's very real. Like it's really, really real and deep and it hurts. but it's so very, very temporary in the big picture. This life is going to be over in a, in a second according to the rest of history or to the rest of the future, the rest of eternity. So fast. Eternity is a long time. Let me give you an idea of what eternity is. Any of you guys have kids in here? You ever take them to Chuck E. Cheese? you take them to Chuck E. Cheese they play these german infested games and they win these tickets that you can take over to the exchange counter at the end of the day and you get there and you as a parent you, you, you utter the words that like send shocks through your body after you say it decide what you want I have three kids so times three usually they have friends with. Now you take that and shave a few minutes off of that and you start to get an idea of what eternity is. It's a long time. We're going to be there for an eternity. Listen to me, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are going to get to experience nothing but awesome for the rest of eternity. I'm standing here before you because I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross that it was for me and for you that because of that all my sins are forgiven when I ask the Lord to forgive me. Same for you. And I believe he's alive today as he was back then. I believe that the tomb is empty. I believe that he is present right now and he's working on you. I don't care whether you've been in the faith forever or today you just came on a whim or you got asked to come, but he's working today. He's here. You haven't done anything in your life that the cross is not going to cover. There is no sin with more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. You come and you give it all to him. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up and I'm going to come down too. I don't care if you just have something you need prayed over in your life. It's Easter. I know it's 1127. You probably have brunch plans at Red Lobster. I don't know where you're going. Put them on hold. If you need to come, I want you to come. You need prayer for the smallest thing. You need encouragement. You need to talk to somebody about, all right, I heard all this, now what? I don't understand. What direction am I supposed to go in? People will talk to you We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. We'll point you in the right direction. I don't know where you're at today, but if the Lord is speaking to you, don't leave this church without responding to that, without talking to somebody about it, without trying to flesh out those thoughts. Jesus loves you. It's the best news I can give you today. He died for you, for you, He is for you, not against you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Just come. Band's going to continue to play. Everybody's going to be dismissed, but I'm going to encourage you. Don't leave. Don't leave. It's Easter Sunday. You need to share something. You need prayer. Just come. Lord, it's Easter Sunday. You are alive. Alive. Oh, just so thankful, Lord, that I have a place to go. We can come to the cross. We can dump it all. And we trust that you're going to hear us. You tell us. You will hear our prayers. You will not forsake your children. Lord, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for everything that you went through and thank you for coming out of that tomb, showing yourself to hundreds and ascending into heaven. Lord, we cannot wait till you come back. Jesus, in your name, amen.